the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. to the marinade a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people this is episode 143 and our guest is jenny owen youngs jenny is a singer songwriter author and podcaster originally from new jersey who now makes her home in maine she has written mega hits for the likes of pitbull and panic at the disco but my introduction to her was at jack rabbits a small iconic rock club in jacksonville florida 10 years ago on that night, Jenny stood out on a stage that included heavyweight songwriters Chuck Reagan and Rocky Vadalato. Since then, her songs have been featured in the likes of Bojack Horseman, Grey's Anatomy, and Weeds. Her Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast, Buffering, has spawned its own subculture, which you'll hear about in this episode. It's been over a decade since Jenny's last full-length solo record, but the wait is over this September. Her gorgeous collection of songs avalanche is out on september 22nd 2023 it's a stunning album that showcases all of what makes jenny owen young's a special creative human everyone it is my great honor to bring you my conversation with jenny owen young's first my introduction to you was the the 2013 revival tour with chuck reagan and rocky vadalato and i thought that dave hawes was on that with you in jacksonville but the internet claims he wasn't in jacksonville Mm. so i don't know whether that's true or not and i don't know whether because i swear i've seen you twice and that (laughs) Like I think you've played Jackrabbits twice in my mind, but before we get into all the, before we get in the weeds about whether or not you were on a certain bill or not ten years ago, um, I just want to tell you that that day at the Re- revival tour, and we're talking about these powerhouse songwriters, right? Like I know Chuck was there, and I know Rocky was there, and I had been a fan of Chuck's for a long, long time because I was into Hot Water Music. It was one of the few like punk bands I was really into, you know. Um, and uh and so there's these like you know these kind of heavyweights right on this thing and you stood out so powerfully in that lineup like i walked away from that going wow this is somebody whose music i'm gonna listen to forever this is somebody who i'm really excited about so 
in the back of my mind, I've always had like, I'd love to sit down with you for an episode of the marinade since I started this thing six years ago. And so it's, it's like a true thrill to get to talk to you. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you were at that Jackrabbits show. Uh, Chuck is like, you know, has been a great gift upon my life. He is just like such an amazing musician and like an incredible dude who like, you know, by way of him, I met so many people in that world that I've gone on to tour with and collaborate with. Uh, and I'm just like so thankful. And here we are, yet another person <laughs> that Chuck has brought me to. So cool. I mean, yes. And he seems like someone who is quite the uniter um, in that mm -hmm. way. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had, I got to, he's been on the show. It's been, gosh, five years now since I got to interview Chuck. But um, I, I did, I managed to wrangle him. He's a difficult man to wrangle. <laughs> I managed to, to, to wrangle him in person. I got to talk to him after his set in St. Oh, nice. Augustine, which was really, really cool. But I, I'm really interested, you know, also, I, it, it was so fun. I was listening to um, your uh, conversation with um, Cameron Esposito and oh, from yeah. like, gosh, seven years ago or something now, mm -hmm. I guess that you were on her show, uh, Query, which is like the f fucking perfect name for the show. <laughs> like, how brilliant, of course it is, right? Um, but you mentioned the revival tour and sort oh, of wow. you mentioned in it that sort of like the the having conversations at that time about coming mm -hmm. out publicly and like mm -hmm. being with those guys and I wonder if you remember that and you could take us back to the revival tour and not just that part but just sort of that experience. I know our listeners are going to be excited to hear about just sort of what it was like to be on that tour and if you do remember that moment that you oh, described yeah. sitting in a parking lot talking to those guys yeah. about this momentous decision in your life. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when you're on tour, uh, you this like weird sort of like microcosm just kind of like uh, creates itself. You're just like in this weird bubble with like a set of people and you know, you're there with them for like one week or three weeks or six weeks, depending on like what the tour is. And like, you develop all of this like shorthand and like inside jokes like spring up and they'll never be utter to get you part ways after six weeks. And maybe you see somebody like five years later and you're like, oh, the grasshopper in the tree, you know? And like that information is just like dormant in your mind until you like <laughs> see one of those people again. And you know, so the revival tour was like, like that as as all tours i find to be but you know w just really populated with such special people i got to do it in 2009 and again in 2013 and it's just you know it's just an amazing <laughs> rowdy like it's a real no saddle no lessons like giddy up kind of thing uh the <laughs> The format for anybody who's listening, who's like not familiar with the tour is that Chuck puts together these tours with like maybe like five different songwriters, five, you know, uh, people from different bands or solo projects. And then there's like a house upright bass player and a house fiddle player. And you start the night, everybody's on stage and everyone plays one of everybody's songs together. Then you've got little mini sets by each artist all through the night. And then we have a closing set at the end. That's another big collabo fest. So you're really, it's like three hours of just like constant for me. It's like three hours of like 
absolute you know panic but the nice kind where i'm like okay i know i just got off stage and i have to go back up again and play a harmonica thing really quick on this one song while rocky's up there and then i'm good for like 20 minutes and i can pee and get a drink and then it's time for the tambourine you know and then it's my set uh it's like very chaotic but like in the absolute best way extreme like kind of try it would be trial by fire if everyone wasn't so dang nice and warm and welcoming and that's you know it's chuck especially but really everybody you know he he really brings people together and he really also has um great taste in people like the the folks that he involves in those yeah. tours are just like all one is nicer and more talented than than the next you know yeah man i, I it's just like it was such a special so you just i'm glad you described the format because some of it i've actually been doing this whole podcast series where i'm i'm telling uh, stories from like shows I've attended over the years. Um, mm. Somebody had suggested it on Twitter and uh, cause I'm always like, Oh yeah, this show or that show. And cause I've just spent so much time going to see really cool stuff. And that one is one that I'm trying to mine my memory for because it was 10 years ago, which is so wild to think. And so much has changed for you in those 10 years. Oh, sure. Um, and you know, it's a, it's. I'm really interested in how you get from the revival tour, this, you know, kind of uh, this explosion of creativity that's like rooted in punk rock and and mm -hmm. but also rooted in folk, you know, um, and roots music. From there to writing a hit for Pitbull is an interesting, <laughs> maybe not direct line, and so. <laughs> I'm really, really interested in kind of like the, you know, the, the music that you were making then, cause this is going to eventually get us also to talking about your wonderful new record, which I'll gush about more in a minute, but the, but getting to like, I was listening to your, to the, the music that you were making around that time. And then listen, mm -hmm. and then I've listened to your new record probably 30 times at this point. Like I just keep listening Whoa. to it and, and like Thank you. devouring it. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's a lot different from the stuff you were doing back then. So I'm I'm oh, to, yeah. as I hear it. So I'm curious about sort of how you got from you're on the revival tour with those guys, you know, making the records that you were making at that time to your you make your way out to LA and start to write, co-write mm -hmm. and and to to do the kind of pop, more pop sort of writing. Can you talk about like how you get from A to Z or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Um so I, right, 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 2013, uh, revival tour, a uh, very important parking lot conversation that did occur in Austin that kind of like set uh, like one part of my life into motion where it had been kind of in stasis, right? And then I think just the next year in 2014, uh, my, my manager at the time, Jim, we'd been talking, you know, about just kind of like this and that, and he had been managing for a number of years, an amazing songwriter, Dan Wilson, who, you know, is the frontman of Semisonic, uh, co-wrote the Someone Like You by Adele, not, you know, just like, <laughs> that's the tip of the Hitberg, you know, he's, he is just like, amazing. And he was, uh, Dan at that time was like looking to uh, start sort of a joint venture with a publishing company uh, and like start uh, signing writers. 
And he happened to be working with a publishing company that was like founded by this amazing man, Kenny McPherson, who uh, had been the head of uh, Chrysalis Publishing when I first signed to them, when I first, you know, started releasing records back in 2007. So I had worked with Kenny for a number of years. And now Dan wanted to do some JV publishing with Kenny's new company. And Jim was like, do you think this is something? I think this is something you could be good at. I think you should just try it. And I was like, well, I'll try, you know, anything. I um, was, you know, recently into my 30s. And I just, uh, my 30s are the decade that I now can look back on and say, ah, yes, that's like when I realized I could do, you know, whatever, mm. I guess, for at least a little while, you know. Uh, so I started, I started taking trips. I was living in Brooklyn and I started taking trips out to LA for like one or two weeks at a time. And uh, the folks at, at Big Deal started setting up writing sessions and I did some writing with Dan and it just kind of snowballed from there. I started going to LA so much that I was like, well, I could just live in LA <laughs> and then I wouldn't have to fly back and forth all the time. I could see what that's like. And uh, once I moved out, you know, the, the opportunity just kind of like expanded uh just being there all the time meant like oh somebody just canceled on this session you know a writer just canceled on the session and we need somebody else to slot in so like i ended up starting to like get into rooms that you know i might not otherwise have had the kind of clout to get into just kind of like last minute fill-ins and that kind of like blossomed into meeting more and more and more people and writing more and more and more songs and then you know etc uh poof i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well okay so can we go back to you said something in there i'm interested in which is yeah. that part about being in your 30s and, and like mm. and and that that realization of because i think a lot of us go through a similar thing and, and when you're making stuff it can be really um can really it's helpful to me to hear people say what i just heard you say which is sort of like seems like there was a, a liberating moment there where you kind of went like, I could do a number of things right now. I'm choosing to go and co-write and move to LA and do this thing. Do you remember that? Like sort of how you came to that decision? Cause like, that's also a momentous decision, right? That's, that's not an easy one. It's uh, I, at least from the outside perspective, can you talk about like, you in that moment coming to that realization and going like, I'm going to do this thing. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think when, when the idea was first kind of brought up by my manager, I, I thought like conceptually, like I'm, I'm generally like pretty optimistic and, and, um, up, like I try to really, you know, just be open to things. Um, and mm. say yes unless i really have to say no you know mm. uh so i said yes but at the, at the same time my in my mind i was just like oh so giving up oh so admitting defeat oh so you know like all of this sort of like um uh negative self-talk uh that's that's sort of like well if you're not focusing on like just your music then you're not you anymore you know, oh, interesting. Yeah, there was like a certain level of kind of like internal speed bumpery that I kind of had to like over. But I think like once I kind of dipped my toe in, I was like doing these trips and it was like fun. And I was like having a 
blast. It was also, you know, scary and nerve wracking. And it's like, well, how do you write a song that Pitbull might be interested in cutting? I don't know, but I'd like to find out at least just so then I'll know, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think like at the time I was like, I've driven around the country in a van a lot of times. And maybe it would be cool to not do that for a little while, like to have a reason and sort of like um, a creative direction that would not require me to constantly be on the move. I think that also is like part of the, the 30s thing where I was like, I'm ready to just chill out for a second. And like, there must be a way to keep making music and not just be on a constant scoot, you know? And yeah. it turned out that there was. Okay, so you just posed the question there, which was how do you write a song that <laughs> might get cut by Pitbull? What, well, did that, what did that learning process look like? Like, cause you'd already written a ton of wonderful songs and you'd already re released a ton of wonderful music by that point of your own. And so what did that process look like in terms of learning how to make, you know, the, the Pitbull song or the hit song? Um, I, we, I gotta quit giving Pitbull this free pub. He doesn't need any of the free pub. Well, 21 pilots, whoever you've written these songs for, right? They don't need the free pub either. But how do you end up, like, what does that learning process look like? Are you getting in the studio with, or are you getting in a room with, with people to co-write and asking a bunch of questions? Are you just bouncing ideas and picking it up? Like, what did that learning process look like? I think like the Pitbull song in particular was this like very unique convergence of circumstances where I had been doing a lot of, of writing with my friend Tom Payton, who um, at the time that we got together to work on this had just written uh, a a Pitbull song called Fireball. And actually, if you ever listen to it, it's sort of like uh, a modern day tequila. Uh, and there's a part in the chorus where a man says in a very low voice, Fireball. And that's my friend Tom. <laughs> and Tom does a lot of work uh, with Ricky Reed, who's an amazing producer, and, uh, and uh, Joe London, who uh, we were all kind of under the big deal umbrella, uh, publishing wise. And uh, Tom had just like spent a week with Ricky and Joe uh, making some some tracks and they had this sort of like Bo Diddley beat thing and Tom was I was still living in New York at the time Tom was visiting New York and came over to write and he was like we just had this other cut with Pitbull I think like I think he likes this track we should try to write a hook and the prompt that that Tom presented in in the room which is like unique <laughs> for me at least in terms of like most, most writing sessions that I do don't start like this, but he was like, we should think of what Pitbull might think is cool, which is like the most like intuitive prompt ever. And also like the most challenging. I'm like, what does <laughs> Pitbull think is cool? Um, a lot of different things. We, we workshopped it and we like, you know, got into it and kind of came up with with a hook that we thought he might be interested in and you know very long winding story slightly shorter than it needs than it could be uh he liked it and he ended up cutting it and 
but but usually usually i'm sitting down with somebody often meeting them for the first time and being like hello where are you from uh who do we know in common where what part of town are you living in and um also what are your most pressing emotional burdens and wounds that we can delve into today to sort of like create a vibe and chase a story uh you know usually it's more in that realm usually i'm not thinking uh about you know what pitbull would think is cool but maybe that's my error actually maybe that's the wrong way to go about life maybe i should be turning that around uh, yeah i mean it's worked for him i, I think yeah. all, all of us would be a lot more famous and probably wealthier if we just asked ourselves every morning what would pitbull think was cool yeah. and i think we would i would get a lot more ears on this podcast if i thought that way he seems um, to be living his absolute best life yeah well, I mean, thanks to you and your hit writing abilities, how <laughs> how different is that from like, okay, so how different is that process um, the, versus when, you know, I, I kind of, we can transition a little into talking about um, your wonderful record Avalanche. Like how different is, is that process from writing Jenny songs? Hmm. Well, I think that uh, there is a lot of overlap in the let's kind of uh, see if there are any wounds around that are open or that we could reopen real quick just to like get in there. Sorry. Quite, both figuratively and literally. I feel like you puncture so much flesh in this record between knife went in and salt. And there are... Oh, yeah, yeah. That's there's true. a lot of like uh there's a there's a lot of both figurative and literal oh. um puncturing going on in this beautiful record but anyway sorry I, i'm cutting you <laughs> no, off no. just because that's something that really stood out to me uh i think like something that well like two huge components of doing so much writing in the intervening years since the last time i made you know my own full-length proper studio record is that one i got like very used to sitting down to write whether or not i was you know in the mood or like felt like the muse was with me or whatever you know it became very much more like let's go find the muse the muse isn't here let's go digging let's figure out what's what uh and also just learning all of the sort of like tricks of the trade and uh production techniques and sort of just schools of thought like absorbing so many other people's kind of like songwriting philosophy and melodic tendencies and all of that stuff just grist for the mill grist for the mill you know that's like one huge part that just kind of like uh, accumulated and kind of like honed I think a lot of my kind of internal writing processes and the other thing is that I got to know so many writers that you know when it was time to write for me i was like oh i have actually <laughs> a very long list of names i don't even have en enough time to write with all the people that i'd like to mm. uh, but i know you know so many people that i'd love to sit down with and kick the ball with and you know that really that really is a huge part of this record i i you know wrote a lot of these songs with um some of my you know closest buds and 
uh, most frequent collaborators. There's just some really amazing writers who uh, were kind enough to, to spend some time with me working on these songs. I'm so glad they did. It is, it is such a, it's a, it's, it's a, such a beautiful record. The, and, and it was so, again, so fun to do this research, to go back and, and re-listen to your catalog and then listen to this. And what I, what I hear is this is, again, I've been listening to you since 2013. And at that time you totally captured my attention. And this feels like such an enormous step up from a thing that already had my attention, right? Like you already had me. I mean, again, going back to that revival tour, how I walked away from there being like an evangelist for Jenny Owen Young. <laughs> and then to hear this is so exciting because I think, you know, I don't really get, I don't get excited about records that aren't top to bottom great. Right. Like, I mean, I listen to so much music and I, I I'm, I'm constantly read, uh, listening to the things that I'm pitched from. Uh, but then I'm also listening to things that I want to listen to and my favorite artists. And so it's to really, really get me the way this one has. It's got to be top to bottom flawless. And this is it is a oh. powerful record. It is lyrically gorgeous. It is dealing with you have this way of dealing with really heavy themes in such a um, accessible but and beautiful way and you're and then and then finally and I'll stop gushing for just a second and then we'll and I want to dive into the record but finally the other thing about it is that and this was interesting to me as I listened to your other stuff too your voice really shines on this you have such a beautiful voice and this your voice really shines on this record i think more so than it has um on your previous work oh i mean thank you so much for all of the incredibly incredibly kind things that you just said um i i think like i think if i could go back and recut like every vocal on every record and EP that I've ever made, like I would probably do it once a year. That's like <laughs> how, uh, how it feels to look back on, on uh, earlier iterations, you know, of my voice. Um, but I, I, in particular, like, I think something that like really contributed to just sort of like the vocal performance and also just like how the record kind of like breathes a little bit differently than my previous recordings is that um when uh josh kaufman who produced the album and plays a ton of instruments all over it and i sat down you know in the studio the first day we like he was like what do you want to start with and i was like let's start with avalanche and we pl you know i played the song for him and then he like i played it a couple more times with him like playing through it and i'm like singing and um you know around us like microphones are going up and a pro tool session is getting created and you know like everything's getting prepped and then he's like cool so let's just like uh start recording and i was like wait a minute you mean like right like how we are like we're both gonna like play guitar at the same time and i'm gonna sing a real vocal i'm like very used to you know uh building from the ground up you know starting with the drums or you know some kind of like rhythm track and like building up 
the instruments and then like and then and and it's perfect and now we'll put the vocal on top but this is sort of like building from the vocal building kind of like from a performance of the song rather than kind of like the form of the song if that makes sense mm -hmm. and i think because because of uh that unsuspected curveball that i just rolled with uh there is a certain like um there's a certain careening around the curves like holding on by my fingernails am i gonna make it through this take kind of like you know just a lot of processing going on and i think that like it kind of brings maybe like an immediacy uh to the vocal and this is you know just my take and i'm not on i can't be on the outside of it you know so i, I don't know if that sounds like anything but uh that's it's what i think it sounds like it it sounds like it got you out of your head it sounds mm -hmm. like it, it got you out of your head and just let you do the damn thing and oh yeah and that's how we end up with such just gorgeous vocals i mean and again not that the vocals previously weren't also beautiful but i just think your voice really shines here and um and again i've given the record a lot of of, of time and energy and, and really carefully listened and as i do um, that's really, that's interesting to, to hear you say, because it sounds as though you are, you were able to sort of let go and just do what you know <laughs> how to do. Right. It's coming from more of a place of, um, you know, like, a a, a place of, uh, survival is not the right word, but like, it sounds, it sounds almost sort of like you, you know, you were, you were just sort of, uh, you know, raw in that moment. Right. In, in the way that you were, you were doing things instead of getting, you know, lost in your head about what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. I think there is a certain, you know, you only have so much processing power. And so if you're like, my hands are doing this, my voice is doing that, I got to, you know, be thinking about the words and like when to change my my hand positions and stuff. Uh, you can't be overthinking like, was I just like ever so slightly flat there or am I completely inside my head just coming up with every single uh, trapdoor that I can think of to make myself, you know, second guess what's going on, you know, and, and I think yeah. Josh and um, D. James Goodwin, who engineered the record and mixed it and mastered it and uh, Jillian Pelconen, who were all everybody was in the studio every day and they just like did such an incredible job making this the space feel just like very safe, warm, open, like, you know, it, there was not a, a lick of like, you know, there were no bad vibes to be, we had, and you know, everybody who comes into the room contributes to that. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, they just like made it easy to let go as easy as it could possibly be <laughs> to let go. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's such so great that you have folks like that. And you develop those relationships, you know, so that you can, can get to a place where you know that kind of magic can happen you mentioned avalanche which leads off the record and i think it's such a fitting beginning to uh to the album there's a few other songs that um that that stood out to me and honestly i mean i wish we had time to just go track by track i wish we had like a whole <laughs> podcast series on this album but um but the very next song is knife went in which i referenced already Oh, yeah. Um, and is I, I, lyrically to me on the record, it's the most sort of like stunning. Um, and part of that is the visceral nature of 
a knife going in. But there, there's a lot there, right? There's a whole lot to this song, uh, specifically lyrically. Can you talk about that tune and like how, how that song came together? Yeah, yeah. I um, I sort of had like the shape of the first verse and the shape of the first um, knife went in section, you know, um, I had like that much and I was like, I need, <laughs> I need some people to bounce this off of. And uh, I got together on Zoom uh, with two people that I have written so much with, uh, Bess Rogers, who is an incredible writer. And, you know, we've worked on a bunch of my music together. We wrote a whole album together that is uh, buffering in the background somewhere that will one day emerge into the, to the world. Was that, a, was that a little plug? A little plug oh. for your podcast? <laughs> no, no, no. I've ruined that word for myself. Bess is just like such an extraordinary writer. And we've known, we went to college together. We've known each other for, you know, over 20 years at this point. And, uh, you know, I just trust her so much and she's so talented. And then uh, Tyler Demarest, who I met through my publisher, who I've done a bunch of like sync pitch writing uh, for this and that. We've done just a, a whole bunch of different kind of stuff, a whole, a whole bunch of different kinds of songs together. And I thought, that he would be maybe like an interesting um, sort of factor to bring in along with Bess who, you know, I've done so much like me writing with. And Tyler, I thought like, I thought that the knife went in section was the chorus and Tyler was like, no, I think there's like something after that that is the next thing. And I was like, oh, oh, interesting. Okay, so we kind of like banged around with that and kind of found the shape of the hold me close, like, What's great about writing with other people, especially when there's like trust and mutual respect is that like, I don't know if I could have ever imagined before that day writing a lyric for myself that was hold me close. Like it's just so vulnerable. Mm. Uh, but I think like they made me, you know, like the, the three of us by our powers combined, we were able to find that line and feel awesome about it, which I think is like just kind of the magic of of different people's brains coming together and being like, no, actually, I think it's okay. It's okay to want to be held close. It's okay to say that in a song. You don't have to say something else instead. You don't have to be obscure when you could, you can just be direct sometimes. Uh. And then you can be obscure and weird and you can kind of like go back and forth. There's this, there's this, there's this Paul Simon thing that, I'm gonna paraphrase and hopefully do a good job. I believe he said something like, "When I'm writing a when I'm writing a lyric, I try to say you know something complicated and then something simple right after, so that like the person listening can has like kind of the leftover <laughs> space to like keep processing the first thing I said while they listen to me say like you know there I was or whatever you know like something yeah. that's much easier to digest. And I think like the same can be true maybe of the sort of like more visceral uh knife stuff in the lyric uh and then like juxtapose that and, and there's like kind of like yeah. an implied i don't know violence or sharpness you know uh to that and then putting that right up against hold me close feels like you know that's the intersection i want to be at personally 
Yeah, well, as I listen to it, right, there is there is the, the literal knife going into the skin, but then there is also just the, there is the, um, the vulnerability and the recognizing of somebody else being someone that can complement though and, and can under, not only understand but also sort of pick up uh, and complement those wounds. So there's like the, the figure, like as I listen to it, there's the figurative of, you know, somebody finding somebody who can appreciate those scars, but they can also, you know, fill that, fill that hole in some, in so many ways. And, you know, like, cause we, yeah. you know, it's a butcher towns van zant you know we all got holes to fill and them holes is all that's real like that that idea that like we all have it and to when you picture a literal knife going in that really helps to set the to set the stage now it's also forces the listener to be pretty vulnerable too because Mm -hmm. i've got to go on this journey where i'm picturing a knife going in somebody right and then i i have to be open to this kind of this violent thing that actually is quite tender and beautiful. Listen if you dare and join me in peak <laughs> vulnerability. Y'all, she goes on to talk about arrows going in and how they hurt worse <laughs> coming out. No, they're barbed, you know? <laughs> so let's talk about that's on salt, right? So let's talk because that's another one that stands out to me, not because I'm some kind of masochist or something, but. Um, but another one that stands out to me on, on this record full of wonderful songs. Can, can you tell me about like to, about that song as well? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wrote that song with Christian Lee Hudson. Uh, we also wrote Everglades cool. together. So there's two two records that we or two songs that we wrote together on the record. That's, that's the other one I want to hear about. So perfect. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I mean, Christian's just amazing. Uh, we had written a song called Living Room that was on uh, an EP called Night Shift uh, that I put out like a handful of years ago. And he's another person that I just met through my, my publisher. And I just like, I just loved him so much right away and, and was like very comfortable. And he's just like got such a very spidery way of uh, writing chord progressions. That's just like so cool and satisfying. Hmm. Um, I think for salt, we kind of like, we sort of like took the three verses, like each verse is kind of like a different vignette that uh, we're just sort of like mm. ducking in on. And they're like, each one feels like very specific, you know, um, like kind of hyper specific. Uh, and, and then just like continuing to come back to a chorus that's very simple. It's also very unusual for me to write a chorus that's just like one line that that repeats. That's like, um, you know, it's it's not where it's not my first impulse. I'm like, let's make this complicated. Uh, let's just like really get every word in there if, if at all possible. Um, but I think like that kind of simplicity makes makes more space. Or, is that is that Christian's influence like that you did or was that something you consciously came up with like how did you make that decision to not say more I think that was if I'm remembering right I think that that was my thought because I found that line and then I was like well <laughs> I'd like to say it again actually <laughs> you know 
definitely, definitely something, you know, uh, that's a newer, more or less like a newer, I think, feature or tendency for me. Um, it can just be, you know, relatively simple. And then it makes, it makes that extra space for these sort of like individual snow globes of the verses, you know, and then an instrumental bridge. Why not? Why not? Why not? Well, this song I, has everything. <laughs> it does have everything. I think that's <laughs> that's such a great point. Hey, we're we're about to get cut off here. Um, can yeah. we end this and click on the same link and start again? If you have a few more minutes, absolutely. I'll be right back. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, All right. Right, and we're back. <laughs> this is uh my where I like to remind folks you can go to Patreon.com/slash Marinade Podcast for as little as two dollars a month. You can support the show, and maybe the next time we do one of these. I won't have to ask the guest to click on another link. <laughs> Head on over there, everybody. Um, we were talking. We were ju- we were just talking about your record, Avalanche, uh, and we were talking about Salt. And then, I- and I was, I'm curious also about Everglades. And it's interesting that you had the same co-writer there. Like that's another mm-hmm. song. And maybe I just gravitated toward being here in Florida, right? Maybe just like knowing the Everglades themselves. And that may have been what grabbed me about it. Like the, just sort of being able to put myself in that place so easily. Um, but that's another one that stands out to me on this record full of standouts. Can, can you tell mm, me about that mm. one? Yeah. I, uh, let's see in December of 2017, I got asked to play this big holiday benefit show, um, with lots of fancy people. Um, Lauren from Churches and Justin Long put it together, and um, your friend and mine, Cameron Esposito, all all kinds of all manner of uh, thrilling people, mm, singing songs, making jokes, uh, all that. I am a punctual person, so I got there to load in like very early and uh, did my like check and whatever, and then I was like, well, sometimes. I'm shy. Sometimes I'm party Jenny, but sometimes I'm just feeling a little shy. So I tucked myself into a corner in uh, an empty dressing room and was just like noodling around on my guitar uh, and kind of found that first figure um, and just got like, just made like a, a voice memo on my phone of just kind of like that first like basic verse shape. And then I was like, okay, that's, that feels interesting i'm going to come back to that when i'm not <laughs> in this state uh and and i think i must have had a, a writing session with christian not not too long after that and showed it to him and we just kind of like started picking it apart and what's you know what's so what can be so awesome about writing songs with people you know when they're people that you uh trust and that you know you have enough musical overlap that like you can really find the things that you both love a lot and like sink your teeth into them together uh it just kind of it just kind of like unfolded for us you know um kind of we kind of like kept playing on the sort of like repetition but modulating you know the the lyric uh as it does in the first verse and then it does in the second verse and then kind of found that uh it felt (laughs) when we get to the third verse it felt like time to get 
specific um, and get mm. into the sawgrass, you know? Um, I don't know what, a lot of the time, a lot of the time in sessions, people will like be, you know, oh, you'll have a melody and you're like, oh yeah, well, maybe it could be like this. And you like sing a thing and you're singing nonsense, but somebody's like, oh, did you just sing, you know, in the light of the seventh sun or something? And you're like, no, I would, <laughs> I would never do that. But why do you like it? And like, oh, yeah, that's amazing. You know, like the misheard lyric in the writing session, it's one of, you know, writing sessions greatest weapons and um, most uh, prominent kind of um, forces to move the ball forward. And I think I might have even just like had, you know, I had just been mumble mumble mouthing something about the Everglades and, and it kind of just like, you know, solidified from there kind of like oh like that feels cool and interesting and like kind of swampy and like it feels like the song could be you know in that kind of like saturated space uh and like i don't know like something about like you know the the thickness and the moisture uh humidity like feels kind of like it it intersects to me with with the sort of like um where is the line between like uh a lie um an omission you know like these mm. kinds of sort of like semantic ways we can uh find to like draw draw lines between categories that maybe are just kind of the same thing oh you know? wow yeah wow how often does that happen where like you're you're at Justin Long's party and you have a song idea or like how, how often does how often are you in a place where otherwise maybe isn't necessarily conducive to I need to write a song and you mm. have the idea and then how do you what do you do in those moments oh yeah well this is you know voice memo app has become like an absolutely invaluable part of my life usually when I have ideas I'm like in the shower or washing dishes or maybe taking a walk and I'll just like sing something into my phone. I'm I'm not usually at parties that Justin Long is throwing, just to be clear, especially now that I don't live in Los Angeles anymore. There just aren't really any Justin Long types living in Southern coastal Maine that I'm what? aware of. I might Come be actually now. the Justin Long of Southern coastal Maine. Could you that could, be a You could end up at like the Bush family's parties, I think, <laughs> which would be a totally different kind of kind of yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, a little bit to the north. We've got we've got some bushes, we've got Martha Stewart's place. Uh there's some there's some people that I could crash in on, but I don't think that they would appreciate my musical stylings if I had to guess. <laughs> That'd be really interesting, that's for sure. Um okay, so but like if if a moment like that happens. Mm. It's not, it seems like well this this kind of leads me to a, another question which which mm. I think will get us into podcasting which is <laughs> like it, you have all these creative outlets mm. you've got your records uh, you you you've got songs that you're writing um, you know for other folks um, you have like as I was doing this research an incredible amount you put me to shame in terms of the amount of podcasting you've done it is amazing. <laughs> how much work you've done and produce like uh, out there in terms of your podcasting. So that creative energy, when you have like, you've got voice memos for song ideas, mm. uh, how else do you structure your life to make sure that you're 
you're getting all these things done. Oh man. Well, Cause, it's cause um, also real quick. Sorry. Cause also like it's all at a really high level, right? You're, you're doing all of this at a very high level. So, um, how are you able to like do it while also maintaining that quality? Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say, thank you so much. I think that, um, until the last couple of years, uh, one thing that I did was just work all of the time, <laughs> like work seven days a week and mm -hmm. feel guilty when I wasn't working. And I don't think that I would recommend that lifestyle to anyone. I don't think it's conducive to health or happiness, but, uh, what I've kind of evolved into is, um, trying to like really create a structure and be targeted and efficient targeted and efficient aren't really part of my nature but it's you know something mm -hmm. that i am continuing to try to like cultivate and like get better at but it's it's definitely <laughs> unfortunately the answer is it's a struggle uh, the one answer is it's a struggle <laughs> that, I, that i work on every day mm -hmm. and sometimes to success and sometimes to uh, real bad feelings <laughs> and the the other thing that i would say is that like is this a cheat i have like amazing collaborators in pretty much everything that i do and i i feel so lucky to have the the songwriting partners and podcasting partners and uh other creative and sort of behind the scenes people like i i think that like finding those relationships and not feeling like you have to be an island like i thought for for a long time <laughs> just talking about sort of like life and life view in decades in my teens and in my 20s i was like no you have to write every song by yourself mm -hmm. and you have to you know do this and that and you can only do one thing because you have to be like a pure version of whatever yourself your truest artistic manifestation or whatever uh which is like an also a big part of like why when songwriting like co-writing came up i was like oh that seems like i'm admitting that I, you know, I'm not good enough to do what I was already doing. When in actuality, it was like, here's an opportunity to do a different version of what you do at like, you know, an exciting level with cool people, whatever. Like, uh, cool people who think you're good at this too yeah. and want to include yeah, you, yeah. right? I yeah, but I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, like, I can't, I can't say enough how, um, how vital the people that I work with on all of these projects, like, you know, I couldn't, I definitely couldn't do, you know, all of it or even most of it, you know, by myself. Um, just like finding those collaborators and those relationships and like finding the people that, you know, you gel with and that like you share goals with and that you can like inspire and be inspired by. But it's just like, uh, to me, it has become just like an absolutely vital part of my creative process is having people to kick the ball with that's awesome that, that's that's awesome i and i'm okay so th that's interesting you said all of that because it just i it just came up i haven't released this episode yet but by the time folks hear this conversation they will have heard my conversation with willie carlisle that i recorded in Asheville a couple days ago and um he's kind of at a point in his career where I wish I could just magically bring him in right now. He, <laughs> he would be, this would, that would fit great. It would fit so well. Um, but Willie is at this point in his career where like, 
he's just, I mean, continuing to, to, to get more opportunities and more opportunities, right? Like his star continues to rise and for very good reason. And he was talking about how like important it is at this stage in his career, trying to find those people that can help him because, and if you see Willie perform, it's just him on stage. And so like, it can feel as though everything he does is just his own, Mm. do it yourself. It's just him. And I've been thinking about that a lot too. When I think about my show, like I'm really proud of the work I've done over the last six years, but I also kind of feel like, you know, this is the, my fourth conversation in three days that I'm recording. And then I've, I'm going to go, I've booked all of these things and now I'm going to go edit mm. all of these things. And I got writing to do for each one of them. And then I, you know, and then I need to record my intros and outros and you know how it is. I, oh, yeah. All this stuff that's going to go into it. And I don't have anybody. And I'm just like thinking about starting to reach out and it scares the shit out of me because in the past I've entertained it and folks listening are probably like, yeah, Jason, you've talked about this for fucking six years, buddy, (laughs) but it's true. But at the same time, I've never really gotten past just barely talking about it. I've never gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm going to take an actionable step. I'm going to reach out to a podcast network or I'm going to see if Mm -hmm. I can find somebody who can help me with the editing part. Um, or I, I need, I'm going to find somebody to help me book so that I'm not spending so much time going back and forth on email and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And so like, for me, it's kind of nerve wracking and it's really helpful to hear you say what you just said, which is like, I I'm still kind of at the stage that you were in your teens and twenties <laughs> where I'm still going like, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to lose something. You know, I'm going to lose some essence of yeah. what, cause, cause it is my show. It's my baby, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you feel like if it's your song and you've written everything, it's like, I can stand behind this whole thing. Cause this is me and I've done everything. If it's just you doing the podcast, it's just me. And but at the same time, there's a control part where you don't want to let go of some of that. Like, this is my thing. And somebody else comes in and has the ideas. You have to be ready for those ideas. And a lot of times they're good. And then you got to go like, maybe my <laughs> idea wasn't as good. And so you have to get out of your <laughs> ego a little bit. So it's really helpful to hear you say that and that you went through that process. Because it sounds like you you went through a process very similar to what I'm considering at this moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you have like, I don't know, five years to spare, I would recommend just booking uh five writing sessions a week for those five years and you will you will be ground down into such a fine powder so quickly that you will you will transcend your current form and you will be like i'm ready to say every idea and for everyone in the room to think that it sucks but it's okay because the ideas that don't work you know can ignite a spark in someone else's mind for an idea that will work that we'll all be excited about you know like that sort of extreme (laughs) you just like there's nobody is on fire all the time right and nobody is always right so like having i mean writing sessions are just my experience of like oh yeah other (laughs) other ideas like a lot of them all at once and like we're weighing all of them together you know but they're i'm sure uh analogs in other industries and like adjacent worlds uh where you can just like get a face full of like uh kind of like deep end collaboration like ah, i'm in the 12 foot part and it's wild down here (laughs) there's so many things to think about uh but i don't know i think like i think it's just like uh good 
to be <laughs> to be confronted <laughs> with. Uh, I've found it good to be like, oh yeah, the idea that I had was not as good as that other idea, but now I'm excited because that other idea is here. You know, like getting yeah. the more you do it, the easier it is to let go of oh my beautiful idea that I loved so much, and instead hold on to oh this new idea that's so exciting. You know. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. I'll just move to LA and start yes! writing, starting hits. I mean, I, I think it's settled. <laughs> start writing hits and then we're going to take off, baby. Oh. Um, what did... Okay, so I, I listened to um, the very first ever episode this of Buffering, your wow. podcast. Wow, 10,000 years ago. I would sort of say it's wild how much you've done since then, like <laughs> in terms of podcasting you got you got another podcast now you got, you got all kinds of stuff you got <laughs> you got the x files you got oh, yeah. uh, apparently you're working on a narrative fiction podcast as well yeah okay let's there in the background okay buffering once again i okay so i'm curious like i i listened to that first episode and i wanted to, to listen to the I, I was like where do you start with this right because mm -hmm. um because there's a lot and then also there's you know the 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 interesting uh, fact about that personally is the fact that like that you and your that your wife who your ex-wife like at the time yeah. you you were married and then you now yeah. and then you weren't and like i was like do i go <laughs> do i go find that or do i go to the, and i i was like but then i was like no i want to hear what it's what it sounded like at the beginning like, yeah i want yeah. i want to go back and hear what it sounded like at the beginning so i'm sorry but also no no um it's really good <laughs> it's uh oh. it's really really good right and so that was really that was interesting to me to go back and listen to it and not really having much of an interest in buffy the vampire Slayer, even though i was 16 i think when it came out which i just <laughs> learned as you were talking about it which was an, an interesting thing to go back to right like because it's the yeah. timestamp too you oh, know, yeah. and all I remember was like, I thought Sarah Michelle Geller was hot, right? Like, that's what I remembered about the show. And so listening to you talk about it with such enthusiasm as well, <laughs> uh, and, and to think about like how I'm fascinated by the fact that you did this at all, right? And that not <laughs> only that you did it, that you committed to this for so long and that it is so compelling, even for somebody who only thought that Sarah Michelle Geller was hot, right? Like I, like that was my entry point to Buffy the Vampire Slayer until I listened to it. And then I'm like, I think I need to go back and watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer after yes. listening. I think I need to watch <laughs> it. Uh, can you talk about the idea to make the show? Oh, and then like, yeah. how? because like, it's quite the commitment and, and for you to do it and to stay with it and to make such a compelling show about something that, you know, until if I hadn't done this interview, I wouldn't have been interested in. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Now you got me hooked. Yes. Okay. Well, wow. I sometime in the last year, like I had to go back and listen to the first episode and what really struck me was like, wow, I sound so stiff, you know, but, but I'm happy to hear, I think like, you know, everything is relative and I'm standing on the at the other end of this like really long <laughs> winding yeah. road, right? Looking back, being like, oh, that's so different from like what happens now. Before, okay, so I, you know, at uh, the time we started the podcast, I was married to Kristen Russo, my my co-host, uh, and I had been like pestering her for like two years. I was like, let's make a Buffy podcast. Let's make a Buffy podcast. Let's make a Buffy podcast. It'll be so fun. It won't take any time. It like won't even feel like work. <laughs> oh was ah. i ever so young and 
you know, for two years, she was just like, ugh, <laughs> you're, you're a fool. This will take over our lives. Uh, you know, she was, she was not having it. But I was like, at the time, I was like, just like, really, I had just recently got, gotten into TV rewatch podcasts. I was listening to uh, Joanna Robinson on Cast of Kings and then later A Storm of Spoilers, which are two uh, sort of Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I was really into Kamel Nanjiani's uh, X-Files Files, R.I.P., never finished. Uh, you know, and I, I was just like listening to these these shows and being like, wow, this is so fun. It'd be so fun. I like, I love to, if anyone will hold still long enough, I will talk about Buffy for, you know, as long as I can keep him there. So it would be so fun to to do that in podcast form. And, you know, we could we, we could do it together and it'd be so fun. And she said, no, 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 no. And then we moved to LA and like, moving across the country and just kind of like adjusting, you know, getting into a new groove, figuring out like, what is my life here? I think like part of, part of that, you know, like really played into Chris and me like, okay, let's just do it. Let's just do it. And I was like, okay. And what if we write a song for every single episode? So like wild. maniacs. And she was so like, that's, wild. That's a terrible idea that you will regret, but okay. So, so, you know, we got started. We were so, we got like, oh my gosh, we were so lucky, like right out of the gate. Uh, I think on our third episode, we got like a little mention in the print edition of Entertainment Weekly. We were like, <laughs> how did we get so cool? That's amazing. And, you know, like people just, it was still, we were, it was a different time for podcasting. There were a lot fewer <laughs> podcasts. Yeah. The field was a little thinner. So, you know, we and and I was coming from a place where like some people were just getting on board because they knew my music. Kristen had long been uh, kind of an online personality and in-person personality, uh, creating resources for LGBTQ young people and their families. And so she kind of had she brought some some people over from there and we just kind of like built and it was like it felt very, you know, exciting, but also very like organic and you know manageable around season three uh we separated which you'd think would be the end of the podcast but no uh we we had come we had come to just absolutely adore making the podcast and also interacting with the people who were listening to it i mean they're just like incredible we like accidentally created this hub for like all of these amazing people to find each other you know and like create these relationships there is a facebook group that you know is uh, part of the podcast and and the sort of subgroups that that the listeners the members of the group kind of create to like support each other you know they like have like little groups for like each city and they like schedule meetups and they do trivia night and like they do all of this like beautiful stuff together if we have a live event sometimes a group of people will fly in from out of town and they'll all get an airbnb together it's so freaking cute there are people who met because of the podcast and got married there is a scooby support group in the in the facebook subgroups where if somebody has a bad day everybody else like the person who is closest to them geographically will you know crowdsource like five bucks from everybody put together like a care package drive it to this person's house and just, like that's like the kind of stuff so we were like well 
we have to get divorced, but we we have to do everything we possibly can to preserve and protect the podcast at all wow. costs because we love the show and we love these people. And so it was hard and we did a lot of, we tried a lot of different things. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was like really gutting. It was like, you know, army crawling over razor wire for a while. It was like, woo, it was hard. Uh, but, you know, our love for this thing that we made together made it maybe a little bit easier than it would have otherwise been. And then, you know, eventually we found our way back. To, actually, like, I think that the pandemic, like, really uh, brought us closer together in a weird way because we were like, you know, we were suddenly so isolated uh, physically from, like, so many people in our lives, but we were still, like, constant, like, you know, it's my ex-wife and we talk every single day <laughs> to yeah. this day. You know, yeah. which is like not normal, I think, unless you have like a kid together. Uh, and like right around peak pandemic, we started planning for this season six episode that is a musical episode. And we were like, well, maybe we should write like a few songs. You know, we should like do something extra special. And we started like meeting more because I didn't have, you know, as many writing sessions, I was doing a little bit of writing over Zoom, but it was, you know, I had more time, she had more time. And we just like, before I knew it, we had 17 <laughs> songs. We just made wow. an entire musical episode of the podcast because we like kind of could, you know, and because it felt like the right thing to do for this sort of like, this like real tentpole of of an episode of the series like you know it's like a lot of people's favorite and like it just felt like a fitting tribute and also just like through the process of writing these songs together like i, I feel like it just you know we just like got back into like more of a friendly groove like you know it was all we always like were okay <laughs> and and you know good but this like, you know, that was like kind of the really big icebreaker that just like made it feel like, oh yeah, we're just like making a podcast, a ridiculous podcast with songs for, you know, no reason <laughs> uh, and having a blast together, you know? Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I, I can't imagine, like, I love my partner. I, I and, and, and I think if we had a podcast together, it would be great because she's she's funnier than me and smarter than me and, and it would be great. But I don't know if I'd want to do that. And then much less, it, you know, if it was, you know, if if then we broke up like, no, I don't know if I'd want to. And, but I think what's interesting, what I heard in there that I find really, really interesting is and, and I've experienced it on a much smaller scale, but it still means so much to me. The unexpected consequence of starting this podcast is the community that was built around it. I yeah. had no idea. I expected people would like it. I thought it was good. I expected us to have an audience. I did not process that I would make real life friends, that I would end up, you know, going to Minnesota and seeing a drive-by trucker show with Zach Schultz, who was the first fan of the show who didn't have to be a fan of the show, right? Who yeah. I have no connection to <laughs> other than the marinade, right? And then obviously our musical taste, which fits into the sort of themes of the show and the guests I've had, but I did not anticipate, I never anticipated all of the real life friends that I've made. And then how many of them all know each other, you know, who, who yeah. met each other online 
through the marinade at some point and then realized they had all these other commonalities. That thing is so cool. It is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, anytime we can get online offline is a win. It's yeah, like yeah. they're there. Wow, like limitless connection. Wow, it's so cool. But it's also just like, you know, ones and zeros. But until until there is something that kind of like takes you out of that space and like makes it. Oh, yes. Real, real people uh, yeah. coming together around something they love. Yeah, which is awesome. It's so awesome. Um, this whole thing has been awesome and I really appreciate it. We usually end on what we're getting down on and that is the, uh, the art that has you inspired at the moment. So it could be like music you've been listening to. It could be a book or a podcast you've been listening to. It could be a show you've watched from the nineties recently. <laughs> <laughs> what are you fired up about? What am I fired up about? What a great timely question for the nice. present um there is a band called broadcast that is new to me but th they've been um done for a while um because uh the singer passed away uh yeah. some years ago but um they have they i heard them once described as uh from the 60s but also the distant future there is this sort of like mm -hmm. sonic intersection happening that it like feels so amazing uh i would highly recommend okay. the uninitiated broadcast that's been lighting my fire all right i'm gonna check it out when you first said that i thought you were talking about caitlin crisco in the broadcast uh who are friends of the show and when you said that the lead singer had passed away i was like wait uh, no no, no, she played last weekend. I know she's still alive. I just I just exchanged a message with her, actually. Caitlin's still alive. <laughs> Very much alive and making kick-ass music. Um, so broadcast though. All right, cool. That sounds the way you just described that sounds like that's my shit right there. Um yes. like it's yeah. yeah, that sounds like something I gotta check out. Awesome. Well, Jenny, this has been a true honor. Thank you so much for all of your time and energy. Thank you for this gorgeous record. I'm you know, I've spent so much time with it. I'm going to continue to spend time with it because it has been just such a delight. And 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 it's just I'm really fired up for folks to hear the record. And and I know folks are going to feel the same way that I do about it. It's absolutely beautiful. You've done an amazing job. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I got to go watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer now, but I really want to just yes. thank you again. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. And I wish you an incredible journey with the chosen one and her friends and just know that you know season one is a little bumpy but it's a half season you'll get through it and you'll be stronger for it to enjoy season two and onward oh i i'm so glad you gave that warning on the first episode too right you, you all talked about that during the first episode that like oh, hey <laughs> just it's a little bumpy but it's worth it right and um yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, when you, I think what hooked me actually was the the way you described one of you, I don't remember who was describing it, but you described, um, I think it's when you, when we first meet, meet Buffy, maybe in the mm -hmm. bedroom, there's like a bedroom scene and you were describing mm. like the lighting and, and it just, it just went from like, you know, the version of teenage horny me thinking about, you know, 
Sarah Michelle Gellar to like, oh, this is something, you know, this is a piece of art that people are fired up about, you know, it like yeah. helps yeah. me to, to, yes. to look at it through such a different lens. And, uh, and so, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to dive in and check it out, but yes, dude, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Uh, like what, thank you so much for having me and thanks for listening to the record. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. And, um, and we're getting a, a message in the chat from Julia who says to its credit, season one has episode, the episode teacher's pet, which is a classic. Okay. <laughs> Julia. Hey, Julia, if you want to jump in here. And uh, yeah. Okay. All, right. All Listen, right. I love every single episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So like, I'm just trying to get, I just, I just don't want to lose anyone who might be dissuaded. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, for folks, Folks listening, that's Julia Casey, who is Jenny's publicist. And um, I, if, if we end up keeping this in the show, I want to make sure I'm giving you credit that you jumped in that chat quick, though. Like, let's be clear. Season one has yeah. a classic episode. Hell yeah. All right, cool. Thanks, y'all. Take care. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Jenny Owen Youngs, y'all. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank all of you for listening. JennyOwenYoungs.com for all things Jenny. The song you're hearing in this episode is Knife Went In from Jenny's magnificent new record, Avalanche, which will be released on September 22nd, 2023. MarinadePodcast.com for all things The Marinade. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Reddit, Spoutable, Twitter. Blue Sky, Mastodon, all the things. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the marinade. Go do that right now, please, while you're listening. It makes a huge difference for us and costs so little of your time and effort. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. You can now try a free trial of Patreon, y'all. See if you like it. No pressure. Try it for seven days. Set a reminder on your phone in case you want to cancel and keep going if you dig it we got a lot of cool stuff over there but hey i get it some i i don't want to always subscribe to things right and you may not want to do so either um all the money goes right back into the show but if you just want to support us financially and don't want to commit to a monthly subscription you can venmo or paypal us just at the marinade um i want to give a huge shout out right now to matt westerman our brand new patreon patron who has been so supportive over on social media and i'm just so grateful for your support man thank you so much i hope you enjoy the patreon it is a great way to connect with um with the show and to sort of uh dive deeper with people who are passionate about this kind of thing and you know without that financial support that we're getting from folks like matt uh, there is no face-to-face conversation with river shook there is no face-to-face conversation with willie carlisle there is no jd clayton episode live from bonnaroo right those things happen because of the folks who are able to share their treasure with us. And I'm just so thankful for that. But above all, we're just thankful that you listen and spread the word about the marinade. Six years, y'all. 
Six years yesterday, we released episode one with BJ Barham. Six years of episodes, and we're now on a clip of one a week. I don't know what else to say other than thank you so much. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all.